0: This episode of Earl Gray is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com Trek FM.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. Earl Grey, hot.
0: It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Daniel Pruz, sitting in the center chair this week, and I'm joined, as always, by my two co-hosts, Darren Moser and Philip Gilfus, who, for some reason, have stuck themselves in a transporter buffer loop again. Guys, didn't I tell you not to play around with these? Assist- D- Darren, what happened to Philip?
1: Uh, I'm I'm sorry, Daniel, but uh, the uh, Heisenberg compensator failed, and his signal's too far gone. I don't know if we're gonna be able to pull him back out until till later. Uh, I I got Jordy working on it over here, but it it's hit or miss at this time, at this point.
0: You're, what you're telling me is Philip might be gone from the podcast forever. Well,
1: I, I wouldn't say forever. I mean, writers don't really wanna leave, you know, characters like that gone forever. I could see him coming back in like seventy years or so, you know. <laughs>
0: okay. Oh good. Well I hope I hope maybe it's a little a little sooner than that, but I guess we'll find out uh one way or the other uh by the end of the recording, I assume. Uh and we're we're actually doing a little bit of a special topic today. We're gonna be talking about relics, and to do that we have joining us friend uh, of the network, Andy Farber. Andy, welcome to Earl Grey. And uh, can, you, can you get us started here with a little bit of your background uh, with Star Trek and with Trek FM as well?
2: Greetings and felicitations. Well, let me see. My background in Star Trek started when I was four years old. I noticed my father watching uh, this program on television, a lot of really groovy color. So naturally, I'd sit down with my old man and watch some TV, and to this day, I do remember that it was Dagger of the Mind. Uh, in fact, it was um, Dr. Simon Van Gelder going nuts in Bay that I think I first actually saw. Quite compelling, really. Uh, and, of course, I've watched uh, all of TOS. Probably uh, saw every episode within a five-year period that with UHF you could channel surf and find it on more than one channel and then uh, probably in the course of uh, a month or so watch all 79 episodes. I lived on Long Island so I can watch Channel 11 from New York City, Channel 20, Waterbury, Hartford, New Haven that had it on twice a day and the uh, ABC affiliate out of uh, New... was it Hartford? Yeah, Hartford which had it on at 4 o'clock. So in the days before VCRs, I didn't have to tape it. At this point, I can just think of an episode and go through it in my head. Um, that's probably too much information, isn't it?
0: No, no, no. It's great. So it's always good to hear, you know, different how different people are exposed to, to Star Trek. Uh,
2: but you know, anyway, uh, I how did I discover Trek FM? I, I guess I went on the uh, you know the the store where you. Uh, or look for uh, podcasts and I just put in, you know, track or Star Trek or something like that and I saw this whole network and I went, man, oh, i got to check this out, you know, and of course, uh, straight away, the first thing I, I downloaded was Standard Orbit and then I think uh, followed that with Ready Room, Earl Grey, Musical Tracks and uh, I forget which ones, oh, and, and the Larry Nemichek feed, I was uh, interested is what uh, Larry has to say. And it's not is- going to be
1: every episode of every, uh, every series. It's- no, I mean, Larry's I'd be
2: fine with that. And, uh, you know. Larry FM. It's going to be launching next, uh, next month.
0: Larry's always hanging around somewhere. I was
2: doing a, a Broadway show where I had to commute into Manhattan every day and usually take the train, which is somewhat monotonous. And I'd be able to listen to a podcast from my house down into Manhattan and walk over to the theater. And then on the way back, you know, listen to another one. You know, because as a musician, you know it's music, music all the time. So I, when I'm in the car or on a train or something like that, I'll, I'll listen to a Star Trek podcast or something like that. I I haven't told anyone this yet, but if my wife knew how obsessed I was Star Trek. She would probably have me committed. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully not to the Tantalus Colony. I don't, I don't, I don't, re- I don't dig that chair. <laughs>
0: Hopefully not. Um, and you you can also take the time now, or we could do it later on. Like, uh, what you, what what how what you're involved with? What's a you know Star Trek project you're involved with as well?
2: Oh, well, uh, all right. So I'm I'm primarily a jazz musician, a jazz saxophonist and composer, and arranger, and, and I lead bands and this. Thing. But I've done quite a bit of film and television work, usually orchestrating and conducting for other people. But the thing that really got me interested in film scoring, even when I was a child, before I was, you know, years before I was a professional musician, was the music of the original Star Trek of TOS. And, um, you know, you could watch an episode, and now after, you know, 40 some years on the score along with the. Uh, So anyway, my dream job would have been scoring an original Star Trek episode. Unfortunately, the show was canceled the year I was born. So I figured, well, this will never happen. I saw Star Trek Continues. And um, I thought, man, I would love to compose an original score for this in the style of, uh, you know, scores for the original episodes. Uh, If you probably know that, the original episodes were not all scored. There was maybe six or seven original scores per season, and then there was library cues created, and then the music editor would track the rest of the stuff. So you might have an episode with three or four different composers showing up, Um, but uh, now uh, I guess you have access to all of them because Jeff Bond produced that reissue of every note ever recorded for the original series. Have you guys got that, by the way? I mean, it's a must on. I don't know if Collins
1: covered it on Melodic Treks; he might have in his series, but uh, but that's amazing. I mean, yeah, because a lot of Tos does have that kind of—it's not canned, but it is, you know, reused. Obviously, because that's you know what they what they worked with. But I think in in that regard, it just creates its own style even more. Like you can hear a piece of Tos music, and you're like, oh, I may not be able to place the episode. Exactly, but I definitely know it was from Star Trek.
2: Well, not just that; there were light motifs for some of the characters. Mm. In other words, a motif is a, a a cell, a melodic cell that's not quite an entire melody. So, um, in the second pilot, and no man has gone before, Sandy Courage comes up with a little light motif for Captain Kirk, which again I'll demonstrate on the piano. Um, uh, right, you've heard that, and. Um, in fact, the alternate theme that they were going to use is based upon. Then he comes up with another one, uh, which is. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that one been, <laughs> that uh...
1: that brings back memories right there.
2: <laughs> I'd uh, do that up a whole step. In fact, in the episode uh, "Return to Tomorrow." Uh, which is a George Dunning score, the great um, Risk is Our Business monologue in the uh, briefing room is scored with a library cue, which has that Kirk theme in it. boo doo boo doo As he's, you know, reaching that great Shatnerian crescendo, uh, <laughs> the, the music sort of mimics that. And it was a library piece. They just plugged it right in there. Oh, uh, did I mention? All right, so I am scoring the new... Uh, episode of Star Trek Continues with a partial score. There's some new characters and new things that will require new music that I'm doing in uh, sort of the Fred Steiner-ish style as it's turning out. Uh, But I'm also going to transcribe and re-record original cues. So instead of using the CD, I'm going to have my orchestra, which will either be (laughs) uh, about 30... Trek fan, professional musicians in New York, or uh, Plan B, which maybe I shouldn't talk about now, but let's just or say Barricade, it's f- for, for, right? You know, B for Barricade, right? Uh, <laughs> I dig that. Anyway, so we'll be re-recording some classic uh, Trek oh.
0: We do they have a, a a release date for that next episode at, at any time? i frame wise
1: i just looked it up on uh trek continues uh, star trek com. phoenix comic-con may 29th is when episode four the white iris, white iris aired, yeah. premieres
0: oh we are actually not here although that was fascinating to talk you about, would think <laughs> about uh, tos music we were here we're here to talk about relics right and um you you specifically requested this topic uh why what what brought you back to back around to uh to this season 6 episode of TNG?
2: Uh well I've been doing the rewatch with my son. My son's 14 and I've, you know, forced him to watch every uh episode of Star Trek that's on uh, Netflix. Like a good
1: parent. Well, <laughs> okay. yes,
2: because that's how I learned my uh, you know, my moral compass and my politics, which I probably shouldn't get into, but let's say they're probably similar to those of GRs. Um and uh just happened to be watching Relics. And about it really annoyed me because I, I feel that after nearly 40 years of watching uh, Trek, I've become protective, I don't know why, but of, of the characters and of uh, certain aesthetics that Roddenberry wanted to maintain in certainly the next generation And there was uh, a lot of controversy about that with some of the writers and the production staff. He said, well, if human beings in the 24th century don't have the same faults and foibles of 20th century man, where do we get the conflict? And, of course, they have to manufacture that with um, aliens or uh, our crew being uh, subjected to something that's making their minds... uh, You know, I, I remember hearing recently about... Uh, maybe it was Mark Cushman talking about it, um, about the e- episode uh, Sarek, where um, you know, in order to get the crew to act in a way that created some tension, it was a byproduct of uh, Sarek's Vulcan Alzheimer's that was rubbing off mm. on them, and all of a sudden, you know, Wesley's giving Geordi a hard time, and, <laughs> you know, and Riker's carrying on, and, getting all, you know, so things like that. That's why I wanted to do Relics, because I thought that... Um, some of the characters were acting, uh, let's say, not so Starfleet or outside of themselves. For, counter,
1: uh, counter norm. Exactly,
2: counter normal for what has been established for them. And uh, there, there were certain things like, I know if you listen to uh, Mission Log, they talk about the gumbification of Leonard McCoy. One week he's a genius and the next week he's an idiot because it could serve to move the story along. And I thought that Will Riker was the victim of that in this one. They're talking about a Dyson sphere. Even I've heard of that. And uh, Will Riker's Never like, heard a, of a that. Dyson hey, whoa, sphere. I'm surprised at you,
1: number one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. And then Picard has to have all this exposition that's like, now I'm going to explain to you, the audience at home, what a right. Dyson sphere is. So I thought that, you know, straight away struck me as being a little hacky in the uh, writing. Actually, you know, I haven't got um, Memory Alpha up, so maybe you can tell me who wrote the teleplay, or who at least who gets the credit for writing the teleplay for that one.
1: I think it's... Um, Ronald Random- D. Moore. Yeah, Ronald D. Moore.
2: He, he gets the credit for that one. All right. It doesn't seem like Ronald D. Moore type dialogue, but it does seem like Ronald D. Moore story. Um his dialogue, or at least from watching um Deep Nine, excuse me, D S nine. We used to call it Deep Nine as opposed to Deep Six. Um yeah, I don't see a whole lot of that, you know, overly simplistic exposition type dialogue. But I'm nitpicking too much with that. It's more about the character development that I had issue with.
0: Okay, so there's a well, we just started with a bunch of stuff there. Let's let's break it down and, and just go quickly at least. Okay. Uh, a bit by bit. So let's start with the Dyson sphere, um which is I think to to science fiction. of a cool concept, right?
2: Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, I remember I had a book that believe it or not, I got um at uh, uh, the Federation Trading Post, which was this retail store that Doug Drexler had in Manhattan in the 70s. It was the only place you could actually go and buy Star Trek memorabilia. And when I was in the first grade, my uncle took me there. Um, we walked from his apartment on Madison Avenue up there and uh, we bought a set of Spock ears and Star Trek business cards, you know, <laughs> which I could show you. I think I posted them on Doug Drexler's Facebook page. Um, and a few other things I, I forgot what, but including this little book and one of them, you know, there's a description of a Dyson sphere is one page, and another page is the explanation of how the uh, warp factors work. Mm. Anyway, that's where I had heard about it. But please to continue.
0: Well, yeah, do you know? I mean, to me, it was just a. It's so interesting how it was just like contained in this one episode, and then never talked about again. I feel like this is something they could totally have followed up with at any point during the rest of star trek and like, hey remember that thing that kind of changes all of engineering and scientific advancement that we know of like yeah there's at the end like i just i made a note of it at the end in captain picard's you know closing uh, log he mentions that starfleet has dispatched two scientific research vessels <laughs> Okay. To, right, to
2: one to hold this. the door open.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. Now, now, look, Daniel.
1: We know that Starfleet only has one scientific research vessel. It's the Oberth class. It's super tiny, and it gets taken over by Augments at the drop of a hat. So, it's you know, really, did they? You know, I don't know. I.
0: It's yeah.
2: Yeah. the oh, The so Oberth has been you know like a disaster ever since uh, the Grissom was blown up. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's just like what like, five decks? That that ship was nothing.
0: I feel like the Romulans would be all over that thing. The Ferengi would be all over that. Like and the thing's so huge. Like there's enough space for everybody. You could totally explore that thing forever. Well, and you know, they they go
1: into later that the inside, you know, is, is full of radiation and is unhabitable. Uh just build on the surface on the outside your space station. You have like almost Unlimited surface area. I mean, you have a fixed point in space in which to bolt anything you want to. I mean, this would be a great station. Uh, it's, I mean, when they're talking about the circumference, they're talking about like the diameter of Earth's orbit around the sun. Not, I mean, it's, it's, one AU is massive
0: there were, wait, they said it. I don't remember that line. Uh, that's
2: 2AU, isn't it? Is a, the AU the distance between the Earth and the oh, yeah, sun?
0: It, it would I have. always forget if it's the radius or
1: the diameter. Uh. I think it's the radius, so that would be 2AU. 2AU, right. But it depends on the type of star. I think they said, like, because it's not a yellow Earth star, so... They called the, it a G-type
2: star, but I don't really know what that
1: means. Yeah, so it's, it, it may not be exactly, but, but it, like, the point being it's it should be habitable on the inside skin.
0: Yeah, and you could see like vegetation and water, couldn't you? Like when they yeah. were like going through there, I was like Well,
1: it made me think what? of Halo. I mean, that's what that's, I mean, it's of. basically, yeah, exactly I thought of. you know, the well. same concept of a of a ring world except for in a sphere. It's the exact same principle of like an O'Neill cylinder.
2: Well, maybe the uh the um the, fl- the fauna and flora were fur- f- the flourishing, that's a tongue twister, try saying that, because the sun was only giving off Bertold told rays.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, as any botanist knows, I mean, bear rays, you know, blah, blah,
2: blah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that reminds me, again, this is going back 30-something years, my friend Tom and I are watching Star Trek, it is, you know family room at his house. This was maybe 1981 or two. And his father comes down the stairs and just looks at us and says, are you guys, he was from Texas. So he had this great accent. He said, are you guys watching bear told rays?
1: <laughs> like He latched onto that one word. And that was how he described. He was an engineer,
2: Trek. you know, he loved star Trek, but that's what he did. He said, you guys are watching bear told Rays, And we're like, yeah. And then he left, you know, <laughs> I used to laugh about that. Um, do you want me to comment on the ginolan, the model of the Ginolan. Yeah. So uh, uh I believe there was a, a shuttle scene in uh, maybe Star Trek four or five, I forget, maybe in three even, where you see that, and it looks like they've glued on some uh nacelles from the refit uh constitution class model that was AMT probably made. It's a kit bash. When you see it up close, in fact uh, you can look at it and see that they have um a constitution class bridge module and um pulse engine uh you know skylight, whatever that thing is that um you know we get to see uh destroyed on the reliant, I call it the impulse yeah it skylight. it's a
1: reused transport shuttle from Star trek VI, the undiscovered country, okay heavily resurbished, I think it was even. Turned upside down or something, but yeah it's
2: it 's clearly uh, a kit bash, uh, oh yeah, and pretty Let's well glue done. This on that uh, but the point is is that you get a scale of how big the thing's supposed to be from it and uh, right, which begs a few questions, one of them is if it 's got a constitution uh, class bridge module, the bridge that they made for the Gino and that also has a transporter room in it it becomes even more cheesy. <laughs> I mean, was not- that
1: the bridge they were supposed to be on? Because I always felt it was just some internal room, but maybe they said it was the bridge. I didn't. I'd never caught that. Yeah,
2: it is the bridge because you could sort of see the captains chair in the helm where they do uh, mm. the last scene later. Uh, yeah, they built one set, and it just sort of seemed relatively random and, yeah, and uh, non-objective in a way, like uh, a decooning, uh, you know, Star Trek set instead of you know why not just use the battle bridge set they had that thing already just you know redress it and chain make it look like uh, Star Trek 6 era or Star Trek 5 I guess six hadn't been made yet obviously <laughs> and um, which we'll get to shortly but anyway that was just one of my first uh, things that I noticed that seemed a little cheesy and then of course the second thing I noticed is that they had a TOS style transporter effect the sound and and the uh image which is fine you know theoretically this ship could have been refit but still had uh 30 year old transporters but if you notice the back of the uh, transporter pad uh looked like uh, uh, next generation era as opposed to the um you know the 1960s pearl mm. drum set you know, because that's what that is. It's actually drum wrap. Mm. Spread would, on the wall. Spread on the wall, yeah. And the, you can see them in the corridors, too. They they used a lot of that. You can still buy that stuff.
1: Actually, I'm looking. Star Trek VI came out in December of 91, and Relics came out in October of 92. So, actually, Relics came out after... Uh, Star Trek Six, which makes sense if they reused a model from Star Trek Six. Yeah, you're right. I was. It, I, what I meant
2: have. was Generations, because oh, uh, Generations. You know, I see. If I Kirk see. is missing, why would Scotty? Right. Uh, you know.
0: Right. So we can. I guess we might as well bring. Wouldn't that up. know her. Uh,
1: know him <laughs> well,
0: or now her Uh,
1: Guinan, but she doesn't. I mean, she's not in this episode. But if she was, because Generations. Well, Generations causes a lot of issues. Okay. It's just,
2: I mean, Scotty comes out of the transporter after being there for 75 years. He doesn't know. He could have been in there for an hour and a half. He really doesn't know. But uh, he doesn't say squat about Geordie's visor or the new uh, TNG-type uniforms and comm badges. He doesn't seem to notice that for some reason. Someone that's supposed to be observing. Well,
1: he had been through three different uniform changes in his career, at least. You have the TOS, the the motion picture, and then the Wrath of Khan.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, actually, TOS. There was two uniforms because there's the pilot era uniforms. So he was probably through four or even five. Uh, we're not counting the. Uh, not... He did.
0: He did give Worf a couple of second glances. <laughs> oh yeah, lieutenant.
2: Yeah, he was shocked <laughs> at that. But you know, you would think that. Uh, Oh, you know, your uniform's changed. You know, I must have been in there for more than 15 minutes. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't panic immediately, which is, uh, you know, good for him.
1: Uh, he's seen a lot. Okay. Yeah. scotty has been around the proverbial block.
0: But do we, like, well, how um, do we justify that line in our head about, about Captain Kirk? Like, is there, do we just think he was confused because he's been in, the, if he's, he's supposed to have known Captain Kirk is t- gone?
2: Yeah, we could retcon that any way we want. That's actually a minor thing.
1: Well, but you could also just say, I mean, if yeah, if you retconned it, I mean, he said the Enterprise, and what's the first thing he's going to think of? Like, oh, my friend Kirk, and it's. I mean, yeah, it's. You know, he he maybe it's that point zero two signal denigration. You know, took out the part of his memory where he forgot that Kirk is dead.
2: Oh yeah.
0: And I wonder well, how long you after uh generations takes place on the enterprise b that scene i wonder how long after that that um him encountering the dyson sphere happened i don't know i don't think we're ever given that information but i I don't think
1: they ever say the date the star date of when i wonder if it was like he was like a week
0: after that he's just like you know what i'm done that's it i don't need (laughs) anymore yeah well you know maybe that that anomaly or that uh, you know
1: also caused the uh, holodeck to only know about five Starship Enterprises,
0: you know. He, uh, you know, I was I was watching it, and she said they said Federation Starship Enterprise. I think that's how they can okay. get away with
2: it. Well, yeah, the
0: Federation was not yet. Forward. All right, don't
2: get me started on that whole scene.
1: <laughs> Retcon. Yeah.
2: All right. Then uh, the next thing I notice is, and again, I'm just nitpicking technical stuff. This is. Well, you know, Jordy calls him Mr. Scott. Now, he's not yet said, you know, call me Scotty. He's a captain. You're a lieutenant commander. You know, it's, you captain, Scott it, it's you. captain Scott.
1: <laughs> well, but he's not, I mean, is he in his uniform uniform? Or is he, like, I mean, he's in his duty jacket, so it's not exactly like he steps out in his Class A.
2: Well, yeah, but he introduced himself as Captain Scott.
1: Well, And you'd think as an engineer, Jordy would, like, even if he didn't introduce himself, like, you know, you know, the pe- historical people in your field, you know, the famous people, like he would know, but then again, he's Geordie. So what does he look like to him?
2: It, no, but after he introduces himself as Montgomery Scott, the light bulb and everybody's, you know, should go, Oh, you know, there should be our little harumph from everybody. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. <laughs> you know, this it's Montgomery Scott for God's sake. So, you know, uh, the fact that there was no recognition there is a little bizarre. You would think.
0: Well, I,
1: I mean, I've heard a lot of times that when they did episodes like this, where they brought TOS characters back, I mean, one, I think they had to work really hard to do that because uh, I don't think you know Gene or a lot of people didn't want to use TOS people uh, or use them very, very sparingly. So, I think to just have him be back and then everyone's like oh my gosh we've yes we've all you know grown up around the digital fire of the stories of the great enterprise and i've read everyone on this ship has read every single mission report like you know that's almost too much fan service well like, i
2: think the thing was is that gene of course is only really producing for the first three seasons and i don't know how much of that is happening during the third season of the next g cause his health is bad but he was in his office periodically, and people would pitch stuff. Mark Cushman talks about pitching the episode Sarek to him, and uh, Gene me really being skeptical. skeptical oh, I can't even use my mouth anymore. You to hit, to that's the word. Right there, just like that. Like that! Um, he was uh, you know, not ready to do that because he wanted the next generation to stand on its own, and I'm sure he learned from the almost note-for-note reuse of the naked time as their, you know, kind of kickoff episode after the pilot that uh, we'd better not make that mistake again. But by this point, uh, you know, the, the show is well into its prime. Michael Peller has already put his stamp on things. Uh, Jean I think is gone, uh, at this point. Um, so, you know. but th- this seemed a little bit more like a nostalgia act, they're waving a nostalgia act at us. As opposed to Unification, which, uh, you know, a lot of people don't think that was a particularly good episode, but it didn't smack of pandering, I don't believe.
0: Yeah, you know, it it is actually something that I noticed when I watched it. discussion is it does kind of halfway feels like almost pointless, like... I don't really know what why they necessarily had to tell this story. Right. And, like, a lot of the, lot of the decisions made are in service of silly jokes or just to move the story forward. And it doesn't seem like that have that much of a point to me, at least as it, as it used to, I guess. I mean, there are a couple of scenes that are really worth it that I really enjoy, but, like, the more I watch it, the more I'm like, okay, I, I, I guess I see why we're doing this. I would have been okay without
2: it. Well, let's wait till the end, and then we can do as they do on Mission Log, which is to talk about the messages, morals, and meanings. But it, until we get there, I just wanted to point out a few other things that are... Well, there's references to A Land of Troyes, Wolf in the Fold, uh, Naked Time, that do seem forced and gratuitous. Um, by the way, how come uh, Scotty has not been issued a new clean uniform? I mean, he's been, like, wearing the same drawers for <laughs> 75 years. He shows the cleaning
1: a- services are so good. It's just they make it, like, new every
2: time. Yeah, it's still schmutzy, you know. I mean, I think they kept him in that because, uh, well, Jimmy Dewan was a little on the heavy side, and they probably didn't want to put him in the TNG-style uniform because it might draw attention to the midsection, perhaps. I don't know.
0: He was doing it in order to honor Franklin.
2: Okay. There's the retcon. So maybe he's got clean underwear, but he's <laughs> going to honor Franklin by wearing the funky uh, white uh, turtleneck and all that. All right. I'll buy that. Sort of. Now um, <laughs> he shows up in the engine room, and now all of a sudden he's got his tools in his pocket, which I don't recall in the previous scene, but I didn't go and look at that. But the main issue that I wanted to get to is why is Jordy acting like such a jerk to him? <laughs> I mean, LaForge has always been very respectful of rank, you know, and um, he's pretty formal when addressing his superiors, rarely disrespectful. I mean, Wesley's given him plenty of opportunity to be annoyed, and he doesn't. I mean, he's always cool with him. So why is Jordy a, a drag to with Montgomery Scott, in, in fact, this may be a testament of how good an actor Lavar Burton is because he's wearing the visor. Yet you get a sense he's rolling his eyes behind there. They you don't know your know, crystals yeah. are got a fracture. Eye roll, eye roll. We yeah,
1: already got that great like look to the heavens kind of why me expression. He's got that perfected.
0: On one hand, like, I watched those, th- especially that one scene, and he first comes down there and he's like, I'm an engineer, I'm an engineering. And, uh, I, I, and I'm like, man, first of all, you know, Scotty should know better, I think, than just to start pushing buttons and playing with things. But on the other hand, yeah, like, Jordy needs to have, like, personnel, ma- you know, management training or something because he he's like – this guy just came out of—he's probably on stir crazy. He's been in the transporter bush buffer for seventy-five years, man. Like, cut him some slack. Well, Dan, and he's a—he's li- a living legend in your field. Like, help him out.
2: Yeah, Daniel. The reason why Scotty starts pushing buttons is—and uh, you'll notice this—is that the engine room is actually identical to the one on the uh, Enterprise A, yeah. <laughs> for some strange reason, except for the Akutagrams. Um But and now that you mention it, living legend. Uh, you know, why doesn't Jordy know about what happened in the Naked Time? I mean, they went back in time for three days. Like, you didn't learn about that at Starfleet Engineering School?
1: Uh, you know, they they just, the the history got rewritten, maybe. One too many times. Or here's another
0: one. Like they weren't even, it's like they weren't even doing anything that was super important. They were just scanning the Dyson Sphere. And it's like, Jordy was acting like it had to be like, Oh, I I have no time for anything. I can't even have a discussion right now. You just like, leave me alone.
2: Given him anything. And then Scotty says, uh, I've been driving starships starship since y'all, you know, whatever great-great-grandfather was in diapers. And here's a question. Why doesn't he say nappies? I mean, if you're from Star- Scotland, wouldn't you say nappies and not diapers? I don't know. Maybe it's uh, <laughs> changed by the 23rd century. Uh, and another thing that a Scotsman wouldn't say is scotch. He always did this. He would say whiskey, because if you live in Scotland, only scotch whiskey, you wouldn't think of having Irish whiskey or anything like... You know, of a whiskey. Not a, you know. Anyway, that's just minor. But it's green. Uh, yeah. well, actually, Data says it. It is green. That's a nice touch. That's a, I remember laughing my ass off when I saw that. I love that. It is green. Great. Uh, the holodeck scene of the Enterprise bridge is messed up with a capital F. <laughs> I mean, Scotty goes in there, and, no
1: nobody A, B, C, or D, so that leaves room for F. You know. Right, <laughs> that's
2: just true. Uh, you know, every I mean, uh, what happened was is they built you know one console, so he walks down right. from the turbo lift, and then. Uh,
1: Got the railing and a console. The railing,
2: by the way, is in the wrong spot because the stairs are behind the captain's chair, not in front of the turbo lift doors. So they got that wrong. They got the carpeting wrong. Uh, The buttons have no color on them. They're clear. I mean, that's okay. It's like uh, we'll say that the computer on the Enterprise didn't have the complete specs and just kind of guessed at it. Oh, something like this. Boom. If I can do Majel's voice, it would be great. (laughs) <laughs> um and then uh Picard comes in and again, you know, you see him looking at Scotty who's at his old engineering console, no scanner by the way. And what do you see behind Picard? You see the turbo lift door and the alert sign. And now he's essentially where the I don't know, navigation subsystem's console is supposed to be according to the Te- French Joseph technical manual. That's what was there. <laughs> I mean, I see how they did that on the cheap, you know. But if an Elvis impersonator from upstate New York can build a perfect bridge, why can't the Paramount Studios do it?
1: Budget and time.
0: I actually do like but, the, yeah. I, I mean, you know, other than those kinds of inconsistencies, I do like the sentiment behind the scene.
2: Yes, that, that part is true
0: where they're all they're waxing philosophical about their love of their starships. It's really it's really sweet.
2: And they do yeah. uh Picard says Constitution class there's one in the fleet museum. Uh, we don't know which one. Let's just say it's the Republic. But uh, well, I know it's not the Enterprise. Well, I mean, no, we know it's not. <laughs> uh, but that's a nice touch because that's the first screen use of uh, Constitution class, I believe. It would have been, by the way, in um, Yeah. Uh, I guess what was the first season one where we see the stargazer because initially that was going to be a Constitution class, and
1: but it became Constellation. Yeah, and
2: then they redubbed Constellation over because you know they could do that uh, with the, uh, you know, the way they were moving their mouths saying Constitution. So um, this ended up making it canon, I believe.
1: Well, and yeah, I mean, like you said, there's there's always the slight errors and such, but I think they did enough to set the scene you know on the bridge where once i mean once you're in there then it was all about the conversation that Picard and and uh Scotty were having you know and 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 then it's cuz it's basically a blue you know just this blue screen at, at the end you know when they turn it off like they might as well be in an empty room you know having their conversation um but
0: uh well, but i'm well, glad that's very meta of you Darren that's kind of the whole point <laughs> of the conversation <laughs>
1: But uh, I'm glad that the Enterprise or the, the the computer, you know, picked the right, you know, decade, because now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, the no bloody A, B, C or D Enterprise could technically also mean, you know, the refit from the motion picture for to, you know, Star Trek Two. I mean, that's doesn't have an A, B, C or D. So it could have been a very different bridge if uh, the computer hadn't put two and two together. But it's a smart computer.
2: Or the computer could have picked... Uh, it read know, the script, so it knew what it, what knew, it yeah, wanted. It could have been Robert April's uh, bridge in yeah. you know, the launch year of the ship. desk lamps. I love the desk lamps. That's the that's topic for another um, podcast, but I have a whole bit on that. Uh, by the way, during their conversation, Picard goes out of his way to say, the, oh, the Stargazer was... Uh, First ship he served on as captain, and he says it was underpowered and overworked. Now, let me ask you this. How can your starship be underpowered if you have four bloody warp nacelles?
0: <laughs> it's
2: were- because
1: you have four bloody warp nacelles and only one warp core.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, there's that. They really limp. Kind of waters it down when you got four of them, right? Yeah.
1: Sure. I mean, I'm no warp fields physicist, but, uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. All right. <laughs>
2: we'll go with that.
0: He was on that ship for 20 years.
2: Yes, he was, now that you think about it, right? Well, there's... It, presumably, and again, I don't know how the canon works because the uh, timeline... Yes, I do. Uh, all right, so let's just assume there was five years uh, with Kirk. I don't know if he served on the ship with Pike at all. Not known. Oh, we're talking about Scotty. Well, you know. oh, yeah, okay. right. Um. Isn't that what we're talking about, or was uh, Picard on no, the No, I didn't star- realize
1: we shifted from the Stargazer, but I'm got i, I I'm following you. Yeah,
2: no, Picard would have not been old enough to be the captain of the Stargazer for that long. Um, so, so it's five years, uh, and then he supervises the refit, and then let's assume there's another five-year mission after um, Star Trek The Motion Picture. I'm sure comic books and novels will tell you about that, but I never... And then uh, there's going to be another five-year gap before Wrath of Khan era stuff. By this point, the thing's a training ship. So what's Scotty doing? Is he a teacher? And they do run-outs every once in a while with Spock on this thing with a bunch of cadets. Who knows? And uh, we all know what happens with that thing. they got to rescue Spock and the Voyage Home, blah, blah, blah. And then they get a new ship, which presumably is a refit of the uh, Yorktown, so they say. I don't know if that's ever been made canon. I see you're banging your head. Am I, uh... Uh, I?
0: I hate when they do that. I just, I just. Oh, here we go. We have a We have the exact same model of ship, and we'll just rename it for you.
2: Well, let's just assume that that's what happened, because they're not going to build one from scratch. So they took another Whoa. 25-year-old Constitution-class ship that was getting a new refit, and they just put a new paint shot on it. You know, they're scratching off town. Yeah, <laughs> get a little compound on there. The
1: Starbase. I can picture now the Starbase got this giant arm that just comes down and just, like, scrapes it off <laughs> and just reapplies it. But No, it's, well, it's rem- like
2: uh, junior officers or enlisted men out there, you know, in environmental suits with, you know, compound putty or something. I don't know.
1: Well, remember, Daniel, in this book, I don't know if you've read it, but uh, <laughs> they have this other ship. No, I'm just kidding. But, yes, in Ship of the Line they do that as well with the Bozeman was it two that okay, that gives me a headache the bozeman like, thing this
2: this is just some prane and braga self serving nonsense uh,
1: right? If you're gonna add uh, stick with the letters, give it an A if it's the Bozeman don't, would be n c c four
2: seven four seven right <laughs> that would be
1: pretty funny. actually oh, forty seven, forty forty
2: seven All right, now we go back to the bridge and um they've uh triggered the tractor beam. Wharf says we're being pulled. Oh, the real bridge. Yeah, the actual bridge bridge. Not, okay, not the holiday bridge. Yeah, the bowling alley. Uh, I'm sorry. I think Andrew Probert is a genius, but the set of the Enterprise-D does not look like, you know, I mean. Hotel it, lounge. Well, I you know, it's like you can't, if you're the captain, you can't look at anybody in the aft stations. You can't even see Wharf. You bark commands. You turn around, you're going to get a whiplash. It's definitely well, you, you. can see his shadow. It's a set. It's not. That's you, why he's
1: got those little displays in his chair. I mean, we've talked extensively about those. Like that is that is what lets the captain do his captainly duties.
2: It's the rearview mirror to see if Worf is making faces at <laughs>
0: it, him. It is little rearview mirrors. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just that you know. Here's another thing, and I'm going back to the Gene Roddenberry stuff where he says, "I wanted to be about believability. I want you to really believe you're on a starship." And the original series, the I mean, he complained that the corridors were too wide. Well, you know, if you were on a submarine or a um, aircraft carrier something where space is a premium, you wouldn't have these big wide corridors. But, you know, they didn't they hadn't invented the steady cam yet. So they had to put dolly tracks down for the camera and schlep these enormous lights in. So, hence the wide corridors of the original Enterprise, and they fixed that in the motion picture. Which I guess those sets were built for uh, phase two, but um, they seem more reasonable. The bridge on the original Enterprise, even with an A, is is great. You know, you sit in a chair and you can spin around and see every display and make eye contact. If assuming these people turn around with uh, anyone manning any station. Whereas uh, the D looks like a sitcom set. Everyone's facing the camera. And Voyager is even worse. Except for Jordy. Well, <laughs> yeah.
1: Jordy gets to face the back of the ship because he's, you know, running the engine. If he shows
2: up that. on the bridge, yes, right. Those guys are, you know. And uh, so, you know, I don't know. Um, it seems a little like a, uh, a set you watch a sitcom that's filmed in front of a live audience and everybody sits on one side of the dining room table. You know, it's like that. Right. Uh, that was my issue with, uh, actually all the, the next ones. I mean, even though the enterprise bridge in enterprise, that is to say, um, looks a little more like the original. They still have these other little consoles where people can face into the room so that, you know, you're on camera. <laughs> It looks like a TV set. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, I digress. Worf, right? We're being pulled inside by a tractor beam. So he says that when it's obvious. So that's like one of those Chekhov kind of likes. Like, Kip It's it's gone. Like, well, yeah, we're... Yes, I can see that. We're watching the same TV show as you are, uh, Pavel.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, see, that's the thing. It's so awkwardly, like, pushing forward all the time. And it's like... Like, oh, the Enterprise gets captured and is completely disabled. And, like, they're talking about not having um, engines at yes. all. And then when the Janolin slips in there, they're like, you have a minute and a half to get out of there. And then all You're of like, a sudden they're like, let's, oh, let's go. Leave. Let's just go. And I'm like, what? How did that even happen? Well, you happen? know
1: that the Enterprise runs on AC and the Dyson Sphere runs on DC. So that's why it just totally, you know, they didn't have a giant uh, converter.
2: That, that's, that's actually true. No, I tell you why the, the dialogue is hacky because somebody makes them put in a techno babble. Now, if you watch the original series, if Scotty's going to, you know, I mean, listen, if Jordy's going to do something, he's going to say, modulate the such and such and put it in the thing, and then, the, you know, he'll start spouting this technical techno babble for a half a page of script. Whereas Scotty, you know, if he was ordered to do something, would turn around and nod to three guys in red jumpsuits, and they would just start doing stuff. You know?
1: that's Standing at a console, like, you know, button mashing.
2: Right. He was just like, all right, lads. And then they start doing it. And Jordy <laughs> has to, uh, you know, read the dictionary or something to these people. So uh, that's that's been kind of one of my complaints. I mean, you know, we all... In our jobs, we speak a certain kind of shorthand, and I think the the Star Trek audience, especially, is smart enough to be able to um, realism. I think.
0: So, what about the conclusion to this story? Do we are we okay with the you know Scotty just floating around forever? I guess this is this is his. He meets
1: Moriarty. Right, again, he
2: he? he was about to... Well, before I get to that, I just want to mention that uh, uh, Picard doesn't get a transporter confirmation before destroying the Janolin. And also, now we can beam through shields? Is that a thing?
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, the
1: radiation shields. Maybe radiation shields don't block... uh, no like no the Janolan the shield Janolan really is j- jamming the door wow. with the shield's
2: up. So I'm not sure what the deal is with that.
1: Hey, if you don't if if it's inconvenient for shields to block transporter beams, you can just skirt around that.
0: They were old shields. They were like 70-year-old shields.
2: All right, I'll buy that. Now, uh at the end they uh thought he was going to go for a drink buy you a drink and 10 forward. Well, I got something better in mind. They give him this shuttlecraft. Now, personally, I'd rather have the drink. A new car! <laughs> a new car, right. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, we don't really know where he goes. I mean, if I were him and I really wanted to feel like a young man and be vital, you know what I would do? I would go back to the Fleet Museum and become the caretaker of that Constitution class starship. Oh, yeah. That's what I think he should have done.
0: Well, know, who's to say he didn't?
2: In my mind, that's what he eventually did.
0: Yeah, this is, this is the last, you know, canonical reference we ever get. You know, that's the latest, I guess we should say, right? Um, last time we saw Jimmy Doohan playing Scotty. Well, it's
2: skin. the last time, uh, not in production-wise, because he's in Generations, which comes later. He's in but, uh, yes, it's the last uh, time yeah. Jimmy Doohan plays uh, Scotty in uh, Star Trek timeline on screen. Hmm.
1: Well, I mean, the books say a lot, but
0: I'm, well, I'm sure they do. You know, he's probably well, he's probably like captain of a ship or something. Or... So now Af- they put him. They actually pair him with Geordie a lot, like Af- uh, oh, board right? or something.
2: <laughs> I, I never really could get into the books. I mean, years ago, I used to try him like on long car trips. Get a book on tape, you know. Um, what's a tape? Oh, I'm sorry. I should explain that. I
1: just, man, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm
2: kidding. Oh, I mean, so the record tapes show. I think in the twenty third <laughs> century, tape just means.
1: Does it sound like gears are grinding <laughs> when your computer's reading it?
0: Dun, 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 dun. Marking.
2: <laughs> um Yeah. To follow the um, <clears throat> the format, I guess, of uh, mission log, we were talking about the messages and morals and meanings, and I know it was supposed to be about you know, well, people want to be useful, and if you don't have something to do, you know, you shrivel up and die, or you. Depressed or whatever it is. I mean, it's just you know, relatively a minor thing that we all know, kind of anyway, right? And uh, Jordy's sudden disrespect and behavior issues, um, like it's a drag. Picard orders him to go, and oh, perhaps uh, Scotty, you can, you know, Captain Scott, could be helpful on retrieving this information from the Janolin. Yeah, I'll send, uh, I'll send my lackey to go uh, take him over there. And it's like, no, I really wish you would go. Oh man, come on. <laughs> i mean he practically says that to picard oh, i don't want to order you to be nice and play with the other kids but i'm going to yeah he has to order him i mean come on yeah, i don't know it's hacky writing to me i'm sorry if it's ronald demore's to te- tell a then you know he wrote it in 20 minutes and if that's the case then he's a genius but um <laughs> it's uh and that guy has written some really fine work, especially ds 9, but you know, the Klingon arcs for. Uh, nobody's done. So, they, you know, they all can't be winners, obviously. I mean, even Gene Kuhn wrote Spock's Brain. <laughs> Didn't use his right name. It says Lee Cronin, <laughs> but we all know that's Gene Kuhn. And, you know, he's written some of the best Trek ever. And, I wouldn't want them to use the right name. <laughs> um,.
0: You know, but the thing about this episode, like, even when I notice all of its faults and stuff, I, ju- I just, I don't, it's, I don't hate the episode, and it's like, there's enough here to keep me entertained, that oh, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I'm like, oh, the Dyson Sphere, that's cool, and the green drink is funny, and there's like, there's just bits and pieces of it. As a whole, it just doesn't really work as well as it could have, but I still think it's, it's a, you know, it's I mean, it's crazy. no
2: rascals. <laughs> All right. Listen, we got you know both of you. Really, I, I I see the point. Yes, it is entertaining at times, and there were really some fine moments in it. Um, but for the most part, Scotty has become a caricature of himself. This started in the features, probably. I, don't know, what I know the ship
0: like the back of my hand.
2: Right. Well, that's definitely I could a feel cartoon character.
1: And the deck plates. How much I was being paid for this cameo.
2: <laughs> right. Uh, maybe it starts in Star Trek Four, talking into the mouse. I mean, you know, hello, computer. Uh, maybe it's, it's not too much three, a monkey and three trainees or whatever the quote was there. Up um, your shaft. But, you know, he, if you go back and watch the TOS, he's very serious most of the time. Uh, in fact, fe- it possibly even grumpy, like when trying to deal with a non seven, uh, and particularly grumpy. If you see the day job orchestras version of, uh, that episode, but, oh, if you haven't, you got to see that <laughs> can't be repeated on the podcast really. But, um, <clears throat> uh, he is very serious throughout the motion picture. Of course, there's the nice heart to heart chat in the, uh, shuttle pod, so he really starts to become a cartoon character somewhere around the fourth film. And then uh Star Trek five he's completely uh off his rocker. And um even six he's a little out of character. I bet that Klingon bitch killed her father. You know, Scotty doesn't talk like that. You know, that that was out of character. Nick Meyer directed that one too, you know, so we can't blame that on the chat, but um Five, yeah, he hits his head on the thing. He's hitting on Uhura out of the blue. You know, I don't I don't you know. It's not the same character. And that it's and I guess we could say that Shatner is also I mean, he started to play Kirk more broad, uh in broader strokes in the later films, uh particularly in Generations. Uh didn't seem like himself in that. Again, I don't wanna go off on too many tangents.
1: Interesting. Uh, one last point to uh, the you know timeline. I was just looking up if we subtract seventy five years from the the date that this uh, not you know not in real time but in Star Trek time, that puts the year that the Janolin crashed into the Dyson Sphere in twenty two ninety four. Twenty-two ninety-three is when the events of Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country take place. So, I mean, obviously, Generations kind of throws a wrench in all of that, but you know, at the time, they're saying it almost happened the next year after the events of Star Trek Six that he uh, crashes, which uh, so is interesting. At least it doesn't like leapfrog into the middle of Star Trek Two or something like that.
2: Well, it could be that it's the next year. In other words, the Excelsior uh, class ship that was then uh, Enterprise. Well, maybe they didn't have a name for it necessarily when they were building it or fitting it out, or maybe they changed the name when they decommissioned the Enterprise A and said, you know what, we're going to call this thing the Enterprise. And they put in the- Generations happens a year later. So, you know, we could rationalize that if we really wanted to. As if we haven't been geeking out for the last six, Fifteen seconds. But we could take it it to a. It does say it's twenty-two
1: ninety-three, so that would be the year before. So it actually, it actually fits.
2: Okay, yeah. Five years, or no?
1: That's twenty-two sixty-five. Never mind. I, I'm I'm done. I'm done looking at times. Yeah, well, I mean, you never know. I
2: mean, listen, they didn't even have it straight. You know, they were making the stuff up as they were going along. Admiral Morrow says to Kirk in Star Trek Three, "Jim, the Enterprise is twenty years old." Well, wait a minute. We could figure out that it was actually forty years old if you figure that it was commissioned in twenty two forty five. Robert April did five year mission. Maybe a little bit of a refit. Pike has got two five year missions. And then Kirk has got a five year mission, three years at Starfleet. They redo the thing. You got Star Trek the motion picture and another five year mission.
1: Wait, no. Oh okay, I really need to stop reading the times. I was right. It was twenty two ninety three. The vintage of the wine is twenty two sixty five. Okay. I'm done looking at dates. It's uh Good job, Star Trek. You kept it all straight, and uh, it's the future. we still got a couple of years before we meet them. It's right. hard for them it's to really keep things.
2: it all straight. I mean, if you, Richard Arnold is in office, he could do his job and remind people. But uh, things do slip through the cracks periodically. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of information covered in 700 episodes. That's sure.
2: Yeah, you know. Um, so, you know, there's definitely going to be some time issues. And, you know, they got lots of things wrong. You know, obviously here we are in 2015 and, you know, Khan hasn't taken over the world in, you know, 20, that 20, 20 that years
1: how
2: that ago. Yeah, <laughs> we know. We know. So somebody's gone back in time and changed it. Maybe Gary Seven fixed the whole thing.
0: He could have, yeah. That's right.
2: So why didn't they uh, give Mr. Seven a call when they were trying to find these whales? <laughs>
0: Busy doing something. I guess.
2: Like. You know, it would have been at least a nice little Terry Gar appearance we could have had. Um, if I'm going to go off on more tangents, which you'll have to stop <laughs> me and just completely shut me off.
0: <laughs> okay. All but right. But I
2: did think of something well. interesting the other day, which is this um, the episode of uh, when Nimoy was on The Next Generation, Reunification, uh, and they have. Um, What's his name? Commodore Mendez as the Romulan senator. Or was it Malachy Throne, right? A par deck. Uh, wouldn't it be more interesting in a way to use uh, Joanne Linville, who played the Romulan commander in Enterprise Incident? We could say, oh, well, Spock you know, made up with her, <laughs> and they developed this relationship, but he, she's been harboring resentment ever since the Enterprise Incident, and she's the one that throws him under the bus at the end. That would have actually made some sense.
0: I actually thought, uh, you know, I, I watched the Enterprise incident a few months ago, and, I, and one big missing element to, of unification to me was Spock's motiva- motivation for trying to reunite the Vulcans and the Romulans. I'm like, why does he want to do this? It's never been Instead shown just, to be.
1: It's time. It's, it's like ne- why? <laughs> it's never been
0: shown to be like, like an aspiration of his or anything that he's really cared about. And t- Unless you like take into account Enterprise incident, and maybe he really did have feelings for that woman, and maybe that was well, the way a I would
2: rationalize it is that you know the Romulans are sophisticated people, and um, they are just led by a paranoid fascist regime, and uh, maybe if they had some influence from outside of their culture. So, you know, like the Vulcans, it may uh, be, you know, change the way the Romulan government works. In other words, um, you know, looking out for the needs of the many. You know, there might be poverty on Romulus. Certainly we know that later that the Remans don't have such a good time. But um, there there could be uh, some serious problems that could be remedied if it weren't for the fact that they live in a military dictatorship like, uh, you know, Nazi Germany, or something, and they're you know always building weapons of war and going out on conquest and trying to rule their empire with a iron fist. That really can't be good for you know feeding and educating the mass population.
0: It worked for the Cardassians.
2: Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah, it worked for the Cardassians. <laughs> Ready? Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, I mean, I could go on and on, and we should not. Uh, those are separate topics
0: yes and in fact we and in fact relics is not the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week and we've been talking about a plethora of topics um, so here's a listen at what else we may have missed elsewhere on the network
1: previously on trek.fm standard orbit this episode isn't very good but
0: <laughs> are we just going to pin all of our <laughs> choice
1: you pretty much have to but the thing about this episode, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, I think, is it's a crazy idea. Earl Grey. Picard, can you construct a, a rudimentary lathe? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's an
0: energy being.
1: It doesn't have a vulnerable spot. <laughs> Get off the line before it. Just... The Orb. Or we could just blame it on Janeway somehow, you know, that she it's scared her fault, the yeah. Borg into the gamma quadrant because they were tired of dealing with her and the delta quadrant i don't know
2: to the journey because this is the dangers by the way kids
1: of having uh, babies in the 24th century because if kathy's first word was coffee and she was standing next to the replicator the next thing you know
2: you have a hyped up two-year-old
1: the ready room <laughs> Well, it's kind of like you know you've got your lucky shirt when you're watching a football game, and your team won when you were wearing it. So now you have to wear it every time. That's also the Enterprise insignia. That's the insignia of the only ship whose crew didn't die. Yeah. So just wear course. it on the right color shirt. That's all. That's you have. right. Commentary: Trek stars. And then he turns to her and he says, who, "Who is that man that I was just hugging?" And she says, "That was William Shatner." And he's like, "Who?" Literary Treks.
2: Well, you know, I'm I'm really a a fan of a lot of, you know, different kinds of naval fiction. Uh, You know, C.S. Forrester, Horatio Hornblower, those novels. So Uh, good. Yeah, Patrick O'Brien, you know, the the Master and Commander books. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, these are all things which sort of put me into the right mindset. The 602 Club.
1: So when we come kind of to the story here, and especially off of doing literary treks where we talk about Michael Piller's book, Fade In kind of got behind the scenes of, of insurrection and really seeing how the that story changed to me it really
0: just exemplified the importance of story in a movie
1: and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm
0: so you can check out all these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk you'll find them in iTunes Stitcher TuneIn the Windows Podcast directory for Xbox and Zune or you can stream from the website basically you can find them anywhere just visit Trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. And if you would like to contact us to share your thoughts on today's show, just go to TrekFM slash contact. From there, choose send to show and, of course, select Earl Gray. These messages will be emailed to the three of us personally. Finally, in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM and on Twitter under username TrekFM. Our new listener discussion group is called the Babel Conference. Found by typing the Babel Conference, of course, into the Facebook search field, so you can find us there. Please support our sponsor, Audible.com, who helps us bring Earl Grey to you each week. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks, with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com/trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and all of Trek FM. And lastly, there's one more way you can directly help us keep Earl Grey coming to you each week, and that is for becoming a patron of Trek FM. By visiting www.patreon.com/trekfm, you can choose among various pledge levels and receive rewards for becoming a Trek FM patron. These rewards let you inside the observation lounge of our network and make it possible for us to distribute all of our great content. So please become a Trek FM patron and visit www.patreon.com slash trekfm today. All right, Andy. Um, so if our listeners, now that they've heard your, your voice and then maybe they wanted to talk, uh, you know, talk to you about this kind of stuff, do you have a Twitter handle or somewhere people can follow you? You know, I
2: actually don't do Twitter. I have enough time, uh, <laughs> spend too much time already trying to deal with Facebook and I haven't got a proper website at the moment. We're building it but uh, I can be found uh on Facebook uh, pretty easily so Andy Farber F A R B E R there's probably a few of us but I'm the one with the you know playing the saxophone
0: <laughs> and people should uh, I guess keep their ears out huh, for the next Star Trek Continues episode where you will uh, have done
2: the music in theory yes if all goes well <laughs> <laughs> hey all good things
1: you know <laughs>
0: All right, and Darren, what about you? If people want to talk to you about what you think about Relics or anything else we've talked about today, how would they get a hold of you?
1: Well, Relics was in the top five fan uh, choice at the end of the run of Next Generation, but uh, they could talk to me about that and other top five episodes, only top five episodes will I talk about, uh, on Twitter under username DrSciFi. That's D-R-S-C-I-F-I.
0: And if they want to get a hold of me, of course, they can find me. Well, and on twitter and my handle is one up dan that is the number one not the word uh all right darren i mean i guess we really need to get back and see if we can find out what happened to philip
1: um, yeah and- it's uh it's i mean if you want to talk to philip in his transporter buffer i guess you could find him on twitter under a uh, username nc public servant i get the nc for non-coalescent <laughs> uh, at this, at this moment, at this time, time, time,
0: time. All right. Well, let's see if we can get him, him back into the real world. Engage.
2: I think we can. Oh, so Fire.